When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. Hello, everybody. I'm Ed Robinson, and welcome to another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. On the program, I have the first African-American to attain the title of being a chess grandmaster, Maurice Ashley. He's going to come on the program to talk about his introduction to chess, becoming a grandmaster, and so much more. That's all coming up after the break. Stay tuned. You're listening to The Robinson Show. People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. All right, everybody, welcome back to the program. So now it's time to introduce our guest on on the show. We have a gentleman who has made history of becoming the first person of African descent to become a chess grandmaster. And also, he's had so many accolades throughout his life, and he's continuing to do big things in the world of chess. We're going to talk to him about the game of chess and him becoming a grandmaster and also uh, his educational pursuits and so much more. We want to welcome to the program Maurice Ashley. Hello, Maurice. How's everything, considering the circumstances? You know, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me on. No problem. Thank you so much for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to be on the program. So let's get right to it. Um, your upbringing was uh, very unique. You were born actually on the island of Jamaica, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong. You grew up there to around the age of 12, and then you and your siblings moved to Brooklyn, New York, uh, the neighborhood of Brownsville. Uh, I was doing some research on you, and I was like, it's kind of like a compare and contrast type situation because you're a uh, 
your beginnings are, are on this island of Jamaica, and then you come to um, New York and in a whole nother environment. What were some of the adjustments that you and your siblings had to make during that period of time? Well, you know, it was a challenge for us because uh, we lived with our grandmother. My, my mother and my father had broken up very early in my life. Uh, and she had come to the United States when I was only two years old. My sister was seven months old and my brother was 10. And she came here in order to make a life for herself. There's an immigration policy that allowed for her at the time to come to this country and then make a life for herself, get all the papers together, and then bring us up with her to be able to live with her. That took her 10 years. So that was a challenge by itself, living without mom or dad, uh, being with a very strong grandmother who raised us with good principles and, and great educational uh, ideas. She was a teacher herself, so we got a very good grounding, and the opportunity came to live with my mom. It was, you know, it was like a dream come true. But then we ended up in Brownsville, and Brownsville, Brooklyn. I mean, it's like Mike Tyson was from Brownsville, and I always make the joke that Brownsville was so rough that Mike had to get out of Brownsville. So it, it was definitely a challenge in, you know, in both environments. Jamaica had its own challenges as well, living in the city and, and, and in poverty there. Uh, but we just we were just all about success. You know, my mother had made that sacrifice of 10 years of intimacy with her children for us not to really be focused on becoming very successful. So whatever the circumstances were, we were going to deal with them and try to be the best that we could. Rightfully so. It sounds like you, uh, you and your siblings had a great upbringing. You mentioned not just with uh, your mother taking the reins of taking care of you when you guys arrived in the U.S., and then, of course, with your grandmother being a big influence in your life, that was very important. And we're going to get back uh, to New York in just a moment, but I want to start off with um, Jamaica. You know, when I think of Jamaica, I think of uh, the warm weather and kind of like a, a – easy uh lacks uh easy living but also when it comes to athletics i think of uh, track and field um did you did your experiences with chess start in jamaica or did your fascination with chess come when you got to the united states you know people always have this image of jamaica because what do you see you see the, the the ads on television the commercials one love come back to jamaica Man, when I came to the U.S. and I saw those commercials, I was thinking, that's Jamaica? <laughs> because we grew up, uh, you know, in Kingston. And Kingston is an exact opposite end of the island from the northwest coast that you see on Montego Bay, uh, Negril, Ocho Rios. Like, again, like you said, the warm weather, the water, the fun, uh, the reggae sun splash, all that good stuff. Um, we... Well, our circumstances were quite modest, and in, and in Kingston, a million people stacked on top of each other. If you don't have any money, it's rough. And we lived, uh, you know, we lived in, in just very difficult circumstances. And the political violence uh, at the time was terrible. I mean, just literally awful. I would live in every day that the police were going to take my brother away arbitrarily so that he would just not be able to vote uh, for the for the competing party. Uh, it, it was very, very difficult circumstances. Nevertheless, our grandmother tried to keep us as protected as possible. And, and again, you know, there is the culture there. So I still grew up with that great reggae music. Uh, we grew up being very proud of athletics. And there was not a lot of chess, to be truthful. Uh, I learned the rules watching my brother play with his friends, but I didn't get hooked on chess until I came to Brooklyn. And it was really in Brooklyn, going to high school. I went to Brooklyn Technical High School, 
that I saw a friend playing, and I knew the rules of the game, and I played him, and he crushed me, and I didn't like it because I was <laughs> we were a competitive family, and uh, I ended up very fortunately seeing a book on chess, and started reading the book, and then I fell in love, and that's really where the obsession came. All right, let's move on now to uh, your love affair with the game of chess. Um, coming up, did you have a chance to – who were some of your heroes that you looked up to as you were uh, learning the game and perfecting the art of chess? Who were some of the people that you looked up to in order to uh, – who did you model your game after? You know, they're the all-stars of chess, the grandmasters, the famous players. Mikhail Tal was a world champion from Latvia who had a slashing, attacking style. Uh, certainly, I loved his game. I loved the Garry Kasparov, who was one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, he was initially from uh, Azerbaijan, but most people considered him Soviet Russian. But maybe my greatest role models were actually the brothers from Brooklyn who called themselves the Black Bear School. They were not grandmasters. They were a couple of master-level players. Masters are quite a bit bit below grandmasters, the elite of the game. Think about a black belt in karate. You could be a black belt, or you could be a 10th-degree black belt. So the grandmaster was a 10th-degree black belt level. But these brothers were very serious about chess. So they played a lot of of blitz chess, which is fast chess. There was a lot of trash talking in the games. Uh, Certainly, that gamesmanship was there. But, you know, you're coming out of Brooklyn, that's going to happen. People are not just going to play quiet and uh, methodical right, chess. Right. It's going to be aggressive. It's going to be in your face. It's going to be trash talking. It's going to be distractions. Music is going to be playing. So it was a whole different vibe growing up in that environment. And the, the Black Bear School was serious. They would get out the chess books. They'd break them down and look at the big ideas. And then they'd come back and say, all right, let's go. We're taking your money, son. So I, I had a very, very different upbringing from chess with the average grandmaster, if you will. But to me, it was perfect for the preparation for the cutthroat world that, would, that I would experience when I went into professional chess, where guys were trying to take your head off, even if they were doing it with you know, a little bit more uh, decorum, if you will. Oh, wow. We're going to get more into that in just a, a bit. But you, you mentioned that you, your introduction to chess came when you were a high school student. Now, was there – you mentioned about the Black Bear School giving you – that was uh, your role models in just bringing that um, informal style and that you mentioned the blitz chess. But in high school when you were learning the game, did, were there any teachers or did you just come across uh, peers or contemporaries and you guys just you guys just bonded together and just really – learn the game you said it right there contemporaries uh i had some great friends particularly one uh, player who i told you beat me that first game was a guy named clotaire colas uh, he was from haiti and so another immigrant as well he and i along with a group of our friends we used to go to go after school go to a classroom after school every single day and play chess. I mean, we went to war. We would go home and study, then we'd come back and try to murder each other. And we'd be like, yo, what you, what you got? And we were, it was incredible. It was one of those things where you, you find the thing that you're passionate about, you love to do, and you just want to do it. Nobody needs to tell you, oh, you're going to have to work out or train or study and all that. We just wanted to get good at it. We were self-motivated. That fire came from within. And Somehow, my brain was made for the game. So I caught on really fast, grew really quickly at the game. Honestly, if I try to mimic the story, I would say, no, nobody's going to learn to become a grandmaster like that. 
But just somehow that fire was lit and somehow my brain fit, like I said, and I just kept on growing until I finally met the Black Bear School a couple of years later, where then I got a new set of fire being lit from wanting to beat those guys. But, yeah, it all started in high school, hanging out with my man, Clotaire. Uh, it, was, it was very important that that was the real beginning. All right, let's go now into uh, professional chess. You mentioned about the cutthroat world of professional chess. We're going to touch on that in just a minute. But what was the moment that you knew that, like, yeah, I can I can become a pro at this. I can not only earn a living, but I can travel the world and, and live comfortably and, and, you know, take my skills and take it to the next level. What was the moment for you that you knew that you can become a professional with this thing? There was no singular moment to tell you the truth. It was an evolving process. Chess is not a traditional business where you know you can go to a job, get your paycheck, maybe have a pension plan, uh, insurance, and all that. Chess is a hustle. Prove yourself. You have to also find alternative methods for having an income. So my very first time, the very first time I actually started getting paid to play chess, played for, paid for chess, excuse me, was when I got a job teaching chess to young black kids in Harlem. And this was a program that the American Foundation for Chess, American Chess Foundation, excuse me, now it's called the Chess in the Schools Program. Uh, they changed their name in the 90s. Uh, when they offered, they had this program that brought chess into the inner city. And a very nice, a nice Jewish lady, she was, she was uh, maybe 75, 80, her name was Betty Dykeman. She knew of this program, and she was always at the chess club. And she saw me, and she said, you know, you're a nice young man. You should be involved in this program that they have teaching kids chess uh, in the schools. And she had some influence. I ended up having a great job teaching the kids. It was fantastic for me. I, I never thought I would do that. But when I started doing it, it was so natural to be hanging out with these young kids. I'm talking about 11, 12, 13-year-old uh, young uh, kids from Harlem who just loved what I, the way I presented. You know, they, they saw me. They saw that I was very much like them. I grew up in circumstances like them, and we really bonded. And one of the teams that I coached called the Raging Rook ended up winning a national championship, a middle school, junior high school. They call it championship. This was the Raging Rooks. You can look, you can Google it. Uh, back in 1991, this team, we just went all the way and won a national championship title. That was where I first started making chess an economically viable part of my life. I always wanted to become a grandmaster, still several years before I became a grandmaster, eight years to be precise. But that was when I knew I could make a living at this game that I was passionate about. And later I would add other elements, including the playing and getting prizes, including writing books, including a CD-ROM back in the day, including an app later. And very soon after actually also doing commentary on the game, which means Players are playing, and somebody's breaking it down for the fans so they can be like, whoa, so that's what's going on in the heads of the Grandmasters. And now that's actually basically my full-time job is traveling the world doing commentary because now my playing career has been, you know, is done basically, and I'm just talking about the professionals of today. Okay, well, that's awesome, and definitely you've uh, made a difference. It sounds like you, when you first got into it, you really made a difference in the life of the youth. We're going to uh, touch bases on that in a bit, but I want to go into now you mentioned about being a grandmaster. You made history becoming the first person of African descent to become a chess grandmaster. How did, you, um, how did this feat come about? 
Well, Grandmaster is the highest title you can have in the game. Uh, the Grandmaster's other elite players of chess. And ever since I got hooked on it, I wanted to become a good player. And then I wanted to become a great player. And to do that, it's to get to the Grandmaster title. Now, to become a Grandmaster, you have to compete in international competitions against other international Grandmasters. And the next tier below that is international master. And you have to prove yourself. You have to get the scores. You have to defeat the players in front of you. And there's a mathematical formula. It's a little complex. But it basically comes down to you've got to show that you can hang with established professionals. And it's not easy because you're doing it in competition. Nobody's doing you any favors. Everybody's trying to win money. And they got to pay their rent too. So I'd have to play these Russians, uh, people uh, from Romania, uh, people from England, France, you name it. I just had to go around uh, the world to try to accomplish this. What's kind of funny is two of the major steps, there are three steps you need to take, but two of the major tournaments that I played in that gave, that finally gave me the Grandmaster title were actually in New York, my hometown. It's kind of funny that it, that's, that's where I finally actually accomplished the title of Grandmaster because it was an international competition being held right there in Manhattan, and I was able to play in it and uh, do extremely well. I ended up finishing in second place. So, you know, it's a march. It's a march. It's a competition. It's it's cutthroat, but I was able to pull it off and get the title. Let's talk about that. What you know, when people think, as you mentioned in the beginning, you know, when you first started, uh, well, actually, when you came up under the mentorship of the uh, of the people back in Brooklyn, where you where they introduced a whole nother uh, flow of the game of chess, where there's trash talking and it's it's music and things of that nature. So, did you bring some of that element to your professional career, or did you kind of stay within the boundaries of just being subdued and just being uh, more uh, analytical about the game? I'm from Brooklyn, son. <laughs> so, dude, oh, no. <laughs> you know I brought that in. I mean, the, the reality is, you know, you do or die. In Brownsville, we say never ran, never will. That's why I uh-huh. grew up in. So I brought that to the chessboard. And that's why my favorite player actually was Mikhail Tal. Uh, he was Latvian, but he played that kind of slash and burn style. Like, he's not about the nice, strategic, small steps. It's about come here, I'm smashing your whole army, I'm taking your king, ripping it out of his castle, and beating it down. And that was the mindset you know, you bring to the game. Like, this is a war. This is not just some modest little pieces on a chessboard. And people don't really get that about the game, that it is war, that it is so much strategy involved, uh, because they, they can't get inside the minds of the players, right? But it's heated. And not only that bring that kind of go for it, killer attitudes on the board, I've really brought it as well into commentary. So now I do commentary for chess. Actually, we have this great event going on right now that I created, and, and we've got all the professionals in America, the top players playing in, called Clutch Chess. And it's a new concept, literally online right now. If you Google Clutch Chess, you'll see it. And it's about uh, who do or die. You, there's no you play and keep going. You lose, you go home. That's it. There's big money on the line. There's $100,000 of prize money on the line, and we're going to do another one with over $4 million the next week. And we're talking online chess. So imagine these professionals are making big money. Uh, first place is thirty grand. You know, you, you, you're doing all right playing chess uh, online. But 
I brought that kind of attitude, not just in my commentary, as you can tell, if I'm talking chess, this is how I'm talking chess. It's not analytic and calculus. No, that's out. This is war. This is gangster. This is like somebody's trying to take somebody's head off and hurt their feelings while they're doing it. And so we bring that energy into the commentary, you know, so make it more fun. All right, I hear that. And uh, speaking of the cut, you mentioned about the cutthroat attitude of the game. What is it? What, what makes it cutthroat? Is it the, uh, the is it the style of play, or is it dealing with the business aspect of professional chess with endorsements? What what is it about about the game of chess, as you you mentioned, that brings on that that type of nature? It's really about the game. It's win or lose. It's win or lose. Nobody cares about your feelings. Uh, it's it's not a, a you know they call it a gentleman's game. People Bobby Fisher used to say, "I just love it to make. I just love it when I make the next man squirm." Like that was what he wanted. He wanted you to feel like you were not so hot when he was finished playing with you. You prepared all your life. You studied all those books. You played all those games. You brought all those ideas. And in the end, you know what happened? I checkmated you. That's what happened. And that's what chess is about. Like they, they're the top players are absolutely bringing it, uh, and all the ego is on the line trying to win. So you've got to be ready, and you've got to be uh, mentally strong because if you lose, you know, it hurts. It hurts to just get taken down in something you prepared so deeply for, but you've got to bring it right back to the competition to get over any losses. So it, it's, it's, a, it's a tough world. It's a great world. It's a great character builder. You know, I make it sound like, you know, we're trying to, really chop each other's heads off, and we kind of are, but in the end, there's a lot of respect as well, because game knows game, and the best players can see, you know, when, when you can play, and that, that was good for me, especially as a, a young black man growing up, because people could look at your color, but when they saw the moves on the board, that's all they noticed, like, yo, he's dropping it, <laughs> like, watch out, because you will get taken out. Oh wow, yeah. I mean, hey, there's nothing wrong with some competition. I tell you that it brings, the, as they say, it brings the best out of a lot of people. And speaking of bringing the best out of a lot of people, you mentioned about uh, the beginning when you were teaching, teaching the youth of how to play the game of chess. I want to ask you, is it all? What's the challenge been like going into the inner cities and letting uh, minority communities know that? Chess is the chess is a real game, and you can succeed in this game. So how do you? What have you done to go and in, go into these communities and to spread the positive aspects and uh, the educational side of the game of chess? Well, you know it's been wonderful because there I've been able to work, or blessed to work with a couple of organizations that sponsor chess. And so I, I mentioned the Chess in the Schools program; they're still quite strong now in New York City. In fact, at one point they were at thirty thousand kids a year bringing bringing the benefits of chess. Uh, and giving, sending coaches out to teach chess to the, that number of kids in New York. Uh, I also worked for the Harlem Educational Activities Fund. Uh, they're based in Harlem, and when they heard about the story of chess, they wanted to bring it into their community as well, so I was able to teach there. Uh, more recently, I've been working in St. Louis, where I'm based now, and they have a great chess club here and an organization that sends teachers out to over a hundred schools in the St. Louis area. So there are a number of organizations that know the benefits of chess and have supported it and have brought me on to be able to do the same. And so I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. The biggest challenge I find is usually the mindset 
of administrators and principals. It's the adults. Kids love chess. I don't know what it is that makes chess such an endurable game. It's been around now for 1,500 years. It's been across all cultures. Somehow you put a chessboard in front of kids, and they're just fascinated. It could be the pieces, you know, the variety of things they can do. You've got kings and queens and knights and bishops. Uh, you know, and you say, like, what the heck, pawns and brooks. And you're like, what's going on on this chessboard that's so fascinating? But kids just love it. So it's never really a challenge to bring it to the kids. It's usually the perception of the adult that maybe kids would not be interested or maybe even a more pernicious idea that maybe our kids would not be interested, meaning black kids, but it's invariably you find you drop the chessboard down and kids are like, hey, what's this? I want to play. Wow, that's awesome to hear. Right, it's all. It's always uh, kind of interesting with anything. I mean, kids are always interested in things. I guess they have just that precocious nature and just the the, the know how to do things. And I want to go on now to speaking of doing what you've you've done over the years. Of course, playing the game of chess. You were inducted by the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame in uh, 2016. That was a, a prestigious honor. Congratulations on that. What was the ceremony like? Just Thank to be you. recognized for all the hard work that you've put in and continue to put in to, to spread the awareness about the game of chess. You know. Uh, it was a really humble, uh, humbling moment for me because I never became one of the elite elites, you know, the top tens of the game. Grandmaster, yes, but top ten would be if I compared it to somebody like LeBron James, uh, the Michael Jordans, you know, that elite Kobe Bryant of the, of the universe. So I never made it to that level. I was a pro, but not elite, elite pro. But – because I did so many things and continue to do so many things in chess, whether it's from a coaching perspective, helping kids win national championship titles, whether it's from a writing perspective, whether it's from a commentary of bringing that energy and joy to people around the world, because we do all this online, so everybody's watching from all around the planet. Whether it's an organizer created a big chess tournament, it was called the Millionaire, Millionaire Chess Open, and that was a million dollars on the line, and nobody had ever brought a tournament like that to chess. Uh, designer, you know, app designer. I've done, a, I've been able to do and fortunate enough to pursue this thing that I love and make it a real impact in the world of chess. That's what that Hall of Fame induction meant to me. And it meant even more because I was able to invite my mother and my sister and my daughter. They were able to attend, be in the presence, especially my mother who had sacrificed so much to bring us all over. You know, you mentioned myself, but we should also mention my other two siblings because my brother uh, was a three-time world champion kickboxer. And my sister, the baby of the family, she ended up becoming a six-time world champion boxer. And my brother has been inducted into the martial arts, arts of fame. My sister will be inducted into the Boxing Hall of Fame one day. So we we all came from humble beginnings, but to see the sacrifice my grandmother made, my mother, and I don't want to discount my father as well because he did come back into our lives, and he played a pivotal role in inspiring us and you know, manning up. So we had great help, and I, I was, it was a very proud moment for me to be able to, to give that gift back and say, you know, everything you guys did for us was well worth it. Absolutely. I want to – I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that was my final thought. 
Okay, cool. I was just gearing to say, is your uh, your your sister, your baby sister, is she still uh, competing in kickboxing? No, boxing, that is. No, she is now a trainer. So she's been training, take, passing on to the next generation. That's what happens in these kinds of activities. You look at any any sport, right? Sooner or later, you retire out of it, and then you turn around and give back. And so she has been doing that for years now as far as being a coach, uh, being a boxing trainer. But actually what's funny is we're travelers as well. So last year, before all this stuff broke out with COVID, she was in China coaching chess, in she- uh, coaching boxing, excuse me, in Shanghai. And they there oh, wow. thought, like she, she and a bunch of other all-star boxers uh, were the type of people they wanted to teach them how to box West, Western style. And she was doing really well until all this craziness broke out. She wants to get back to it when things settle down. But it's just the way, you know, I tell you, it's a hustle. These kinds of businesses are always going to be a hustle, how you cobble together a great career in something that you're passionate about uh, and you consistently make money when you don't have all the, the backup of all the, the traditional pension plans, like I said, and insurance and the like. But we've been able to do it. We've been able to do it with our lives, pursue the thing that we're passionate about. And at the end of the day, when I wake up, I get to talk about chess. I get to talk about chess. That's crazy to me. Like, that's how I make a living. That's how I've been able to feed my family, be successful, travel the world, because I get to play then and now talk about the game that I love so much. Rightfully so, and uh, you've achieved a lot thus far, continuing to do big things, and congratulations to you again on that induction. Also, congratulations to your siblings as well for um, striving in the world of both with your with your brother and your uh, your baby sister and doing their thing, so congratulations to all of you on that. And you mentioned about as far as with your sister um, doing traveling and putting things on hold due to this uh, current pandemic we have with COVID-19. You mentioned about your uh, – being involved in education and teaching the game of chess to the youth. Have you had an opportunity to kind of get in contact with the youth, just in, be in contact with them just in terms of how to handle the pandemic and how they can use the game of chess to kind of use it as a way to, to, to cope with what's going on right now? You know, I haven't done that specifically what you just said, but that's one of the great things about chess. I told you about this tournament that we have right now uh, that, I, that uh, I created called Clutch Chess, and that's all being played online. And we just, the reason why that is because chess normally is played face-to-face, but given our situation, we can't do that. So you find everything going online. Now, you can't do that with basketball, with baseball, you know, football, but you can do it with an activity like chess. And what has happened is there's been an incredible boom in chess playing online. I mean, the big chess servers, whether it's chess.com or chess24.com, those sites are seeing record memberships because people need something to do while they're at home, and parents don't want their kids to just be doing video games and the like. So they turn to activities that they think will be beneficial or that they know will be beneficial to their kids, not just when they're home, but forever. And chess is one of those activities. So literally you're seeing more than – double the participation of chess play online right now. So I think people have gotten that message. Kids have that message as well. They participate online playing kids all over the world. I mean, you get online and you challenge somebody, you don't know where they are on the planet. So you might be playing some kid in China, some kid in South Africa, uh, some kid 
somewhere in Peru who's also online playing chess. So it's a whole virtual community, and it's getting bigger and bigger because of the pandemic. So I think that sort of answers your question in the direction of strengthening your mind, figuring out you know, how to be more strategic, but also having a good time doing it. How do you, uh, with you playing chess all of these years, how do you apply it to the principles in the, the game of life? Wow. That's that's a question for another interview, man. We could take another two two days talking about that. That's part of what I do. Um, there's so chess is a decision making game, right? You have to make a good decision on every single move, and those decisions have consequences. Not only that, you have an opponent across the board from you that you have to respect, because if you just ignore what they're trying to do, you're going to get hurt. So. And, and then when you win or lose the game, particularly when you lose, there are lessons to learn. You don't just throw it outside and pout. There are lessons to draw from in the loss. Where was your mistake? What were you not thinking about when you made this bad move? How did you not anticipate this other idea? How can you improve as a learner? All those things that I just talked about, you know, making good decisions, certainly you've got to be patient, respecting your opponent every single time, learning about the consequences, learning how to make better decisions and to learn from your bad ones, that's life. You know, that's life. And there's so many more with chess, whether it's patience and concentration, uh, just learning that better focus and being very creative, not thinking inside of a box, but thinking about many ideas, seeing the big picture. It's really endless. And we could drill down deep in even each one of those things that I just described. So chess is really a discipline masking as a game. But the good thing is it is a game, so it's really enjoyable to play. Uh, and it's somehow evergreen. You, you can go back and learn lessons time and time again. Rightfully so, and a great analogy that you put on that. And um, let's talk in, more about some uh, current projects you work and you're working on. You mentioned about uh, Clutch Chess, which is the uh, online chess tournament, and also um, being some uh, big prize money involved in, in that. You mentioned about Clutch Chess, but what are some other uh, things that you're currently working on? Well, you know, the next big thing I'm going to be doing is jumping into the streaming world. I don't know if you know about the whole streaming. Twitch uh, has a giant streaming platform where players go online and sit and play chess, talk about chess, uh, describe their, their latest projects, ideas. It's a great way to reach the online community in a fun way. And so I'm preparing to do that now. I've kind of been reluctant to do it because I didn't want to just go all in. I know it takes a lot of time when you're doing it. Uh, as you know, as somebody who's online, uh, you know, who's doing a show like your show, uh, that, mm -hmm. that it does take time and energy that's in order to execute it properly. So that's really my next big foray. I'm working on some books right now as well. I've got a lot of content. And this is actually kind of curious because I, I say, you know, the pandemic has been terrible, but for a lot of us, it's actually been very, very useful because it gives you a chance to stop and really reflect on what you've been doing and, and what you can do. I've been traveling so much, enjoying my travels, no question about it. I get to travel the world doing what I do. But sometimes when you're doing that, you get caught up in the activity and you don't get some quiet time to stop and say, hey, what, what else can I be doing right now? What ought I to be doing now that I'm in this situation? Honestly, it's been really a, a great opportunity to just settle down and look at the way I want to live my life moving forward. 
and to develop some of these projects that really have been sitting in my inbox for years, and I'm able to get that done now. You know, you've hit the nail on the coffin on that. Uh, you're one of the few people that have actually said that, that have really looked at this. I mean, it's this pandemic that we're going through right now. It is a terrible thing, but there's also been a, a kind of like a, a a bright side to this thing. People have, like you said, people have had an opportunity to reflect and also give them a chance to reinvent themselves and uh, have an opportunity to work on some new things. I'm glad you mentioned that because not a lot of people I've been heard. I've heard some people mention it, but it had it hasn't really been in a a big, uh, a huge amount of people have really said something like this. I'm glad you touched bases on that. So a uh, uh, great job as always. And Maurice, again, thank you so much for being on the program. Uh, take your time out of your busy schedule. So let everybody know where they can find you on social media. And if you have a website, let them know that as well. Absolutely. Well, the name is Maurice Ashley. So you Google that, you'll find me everywhere, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Twitter. Maurice Ashley and Chess has put it together. Uh, you can even just put Maurice Black Grandmaster, Google that, and everything will pop up. Uh, you can find me very easily. And if you want to check me out on Twitch in, in about a week when I jump on there, that will be great. And Clutch Chess is happening right as we speak. And the next game, the next uh, set of games will start at 3 p.m. Central where I am, so 4 p.m. on the East Coast. Just go online, look up Clutch Chess. Look up the St. Louis Chess Club. That'll help. We're on YouTube, and we're having a lot of fun. You know, chess players going at it. Uh, if you're a fan, or even if you're not, I mean, there's a lot of money on the line, so we keep it entertained. Well, you heard it from him. He's Maurice Ashley. He's the first person of uh, African descent to attain the title of Chess Grandmaster, also inducted into the U.S. Chess Hall of Fame, and he's keeping busy during this pandemic. Check out Clutch Chess and also some of the great projects he's got coming up. Maurice Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us on the program. And if ever you want to come back on, feel free to let us know. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. No problem. Thank you. And that's going to do it for another exciting edition of The Robinson Show. I'm your host, Ed Robinson. And remember, put God first in everything you do and you can't go wrong. Until next time, stick to the script. I'm out. And remember, stay safe. And if you can, stay home and stay inside. We're out. Peace. People who are sick should stay home. You don't go to an emergency room. You don't go to a clinic. You get on the phone and you ask for advice and instructions from your physician. Then you use those instructions to determine what you're going to do. But the first reflex should not be, I feel sick, I'm going to go to an emergency room. I feel sick, I'm going to just go to a doctor's office. We need to physically separate. Ultimately, you may need, obviously, to see a physician or to go to a hospital. The first reflex should be to make a call to your physician. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. 
Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. When you're sick, every minute counts. So don't go anywhere. Go to DispatchHealth.com where high-quality medical care comes directly to you. No getting out of a sick bed. No crazy driving to an emergency room. No endless paperwork. No hospital waiting rooms. Visit DispatchHealth.com to learn about our medical professionals, then make house calls. Dispatch Health is covered by Medicare and most major insurance. Go to DispatchHealth.com. What up, TJ? You good? Nah, man, I can't find a good sports podcast to listen to. I need something that covers a little bit of everything, you know what I'm saying? For real? You need to check out the MTMV Sports Podcast, bro. They cover everything from the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, mixed martial arts, to NCAA football. That sounds like exactly what I need, bro. Where is it at? Is it on iTunes? Yep. MTMV Sports is on iTunes for Apple users, Podcast Republic for Android, Spotify, and the Anchor app. So you have 24-7 access to listen to all the episodes when you need your sports fix. Cool. I'm going to check it out on the drive home. Yeah, and check out that car wash up the street, too. Uh, you got jokes. <laughs> I'll let you later, man. Hey, this is Amy Bentley with RWMS Group, and you are listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked. Hey, this is Amy Bentley with RWMS Group, and you are listening to MTMV Sports. Keep it locked.